Welcome to the Engaged Prospect podcast. My name is Dan Hirsch. I'm founder and president of Engaged Prospect. And today I have with me a special guest. I am speaking with Lori Barkman. Lori is the founder of an organization called Small.Big. She is based here with me in Pittsburgh and is working with other business owners to help them increase their value and uh, do a lot of really cool things that I'm, I'm super excited to talk about. Lori, welcome to the show. Dan, thank you so much. Great to be here. It's, it's great to have you. We've had this on the calendar for a long time, so I'm really excited to have a chance to sit down with you today. Yeah, podcaster to podcaster. It's always fun to be on a show where someone knows how it works behind the mic. <laughs> That's right. You're, that means your answers and, and how you guide the call is going to be so easy for me because you know the pain. <laughs> no, you're in the driver's seat today. <laughs> <laughs> well, bummer. Well, as the driver, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I do best and turn it over to you. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you came to, to start Small.Big, all of these things. I'm really okay. excited to hear about. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks again for having me on your podcast. It's, it's fun to be with you today. I got started in my career in a time when things weren't really moving on the digital front. They were starting to, but as a career choice, I ended up going into a pretty traditional role in a very traditional industry, manufacturing. And so that's where my story began. It began, I think, with really understanding the psychology of business. And the field I was in was marketing. And what is marketing? When you're doing recruiting, well, you're selling. And so my first four years right out of college, I learned about being on a team, how to do team building, working with all different kinds of people in, in this manufacturing setting from the shop floor, painters and welders, all the way up through executives. But then I realized that I wanted to be more on the front lines in business. And I wanted to, I wanted to understand more about how to really use technology to improve business process and business transformation. It was starting to really become more and more important, especially in these, you know, everybody at that point was not, it was in a legacy company, right? Unless you're working in a startup. And so startups are really intriguing to me. So in order to pivot my career from human resources in a manufacturing setting, I wanted to go into digital marketing and technology and got my MBA. That's what brought me to this fair city. And after that was really a career of what's been about 25 years where I've worked in scaling digital businesses, whether it's startups or whether it's in an innovation team within a well-established company. So some branding companies, publicly traded companies, and you know, smaller software technology startups. And I've been back and forth. So it's one of these things in my career that makes me, I think, gives me a perspective, makes me a little different in that I've applied concepts and tools in the big co and I've applied these concepts and tools in the small co and kind of back and forth. And it's always a fun conversation to talk about similarities and differences. But this, I think the one thing that really characterizes kind of my DNA and throughout my career has been a growth mindset. And so when I became CEO of a hundred million dollar plus business um, within a privately held company, it was a very traditional, uh, well-established uh, business. It was over 100 years old. My business unit was newer, not, not new, not a startup, but it was newer than that. It was about, let's say, 15, 20 years old. And my mission was to help take it to the next level, how to help it grow, and 
using um, this growth mindset, digital transformation to help to help do that. And so that began this other phase of my career, which, uh, you know, for living this life in marketing, you know, head of marketing, CMO roles like that, it's all about the top line number. And what I got an appreciation for, well, you know, certainly as a CEO, but in my other roles too, but it's about, it's about profitability. It's about enterprise value and what can we do to um, move that needle forward. And so that would bring, that's what brings me to my transition to not to being an entrepreneur. Um, so I can, I can pause there. I know I kind of covered a lot uh, and I certainly can, can talk more about where I am today. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. What, what, so, so we know now what led you to start a business, but what, what was going on in your, in your mind as it relates to like, I know I can do this. I'm running a, a hundred year old company as the CEO and we're doing well. I know all these things, but like, I've never done this. Is it scary? Is it exciting? Uh, we talked to entrepreneurs as yeah. we know. Like, it's kind it's of all both, those things. Right? It is. It's kind of like, okay, what do I know? What am I good at? What do I have some expertise in? What can people find value in working with me? And what am I going to enjoy? And how do I package that and bundle that and put it all together? And so for me, it's been an exploration. I started my firm, Small.Big, 10 years ago when I was transitioning out of a role and thinking about doing my own thing. And tried it for a summer and it was really fun. And then it got really hard because uh, lo and behold, doing business development and doing the work at the same time is hard. <laughs> what a realization. <laughs> and, and, you know, I had two clients immediately and that felt really great. And then when those projects were finished, I was like, oh, wow, this is tough. And so I had a cold start problem, I think. And I felt eh, maybe I'm not ready. And so again, this was about 10 years ago and I put it on ice and I had some amazing positions and that's what actually ultimately led me to get that CEO position, um, which was a fantastic opportunity. And I think from, from to present day, if I can kind of jump forward, you know, and having all these different experiences at different types of companies, so, so a lot of service businesses has been, you know, Dan, that's been a focus of mine, but, it, but having this breadth of different industries and seeing so many different kinds of companies as well as being tied in with Carnegie Mellon. I'm an adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon. I teach an entrepreneurship class called the Corporate Startup Lab. And I started, uh, I started as a team mentor. It's a graduate student class and it attracts students from all over campus and companies sponsor a class. And so we get these real life projects that the students are gonna work on. So I started working, at, working with Sean Emirati over there and just spending time with the, with the student teams to help advise. And then over time, it just made sense. Oh, you know, hey, let, let me join and become one of the, you know, one of the instructors of the class. And so that's, that's been a great experience. And so if you couple, um, I think, my growth mindset, all of the things that I've garnered in terms of learning, uh, what works, what might not work, and, and having, a, having, a, having some frameworks to use, but then also not being afraid to test and learn and, and trying new things. And then at the same time, having this wonderful resource and being part of, you know, Carnegie Mellon and the Tepper School of Business has kind of rounded out my, my experience in the sense that, hey, I'm an executive, I'm coming at it from this angle, but I can also look at these other angles and ask really good questions. You know, I think that it's, I'm not coming with um, a mentality or framework that I have all the answers when I'm approaching a client situation or working with somebody. 
I don't, I don't have any of the answers really. I just have good questions. I have frameworks and I have my own experiences. And so that's what I thought, yeah, you know what, I'm going to put this together. Small.big is a advisory consultancy, really. I advise business owners how to increase the value of their company. And there's different ways that I do that. But at its core, it's about strategy. It's about growth. It's about innovation. And ultimately, it's about transition. So when you say transition, do you mean transitioning out of the business or transitioning the, the business itself? Tell us more about that. Transition can take a lot of forms. And the podcast that I mentioned, you know, I'm a podcaster. So what is it? It's called Succession Stories. And I talk with CEOs, business owners, and people who are in the ecosystem of working with, with uh, folks as trusted advisors. And I love having conversations with people about transition. It can be transition in their business for sure. You know, they have a goal, let's say if they are a million dollar company and they want to be 5 million, well, you've got to transition quite a bit along the way. Or you are let's say you're a $20 million business, third generation, and you're going to be transitioning to the fourth generation eventually. And so it, it transition can be career oriented, can be business oriented and personal. Those are sort of the three elements and everyone's situation is different. But one of the commonalities is, look, change is constant. And if we're not going to change and adapt, we're not going to make it to the next generation, whatever that next generation is. It might be a sale to a third party. It might be a transition to management. It might be a transition to family. And so one of the things that the pandemic has shown and some of the data uh, from the value builder system, they did a survey recently that showed business owners, small business owners, about 10,000 answered this survey, are accelerating their exit timeline and exit meaning to any one of those options. Well, what are those options? Well, they've shifted a little bit. People are anticipating a sale to the third party more so than in the past, pre-COVID. Um, there was a shift dynamic there. There was also a shift in timing, uh, pulling it in more, You know, accelerating the pace of, in, their, in their own minds of when they might wanna sell their business. So to me, transition is all of those things. But, you know, Dan, at the end of the day, it's about personal readiness as a business owner to transition. Again, whatever their vision is for that transition. It's also business readiness. And so I approach it in those two, in those two mindsets where you have to really work on both. So that's what I ended up putting together for my practice, which is, um, I spend time with the Exit Planning Institute to understand their methodology and you know some of the the frameworks that they that they train, and then I also got certified in the Value Builder platform, which is a, a global uh, software platform. So that's my kind of my back end intellectual property that I use. So it's data oriented, statistically significant information that that says, hey, you know, these are the things that help move the needle in growing the value of your enterprise. And let's talk about that. How do we how do we help you you know do that? And that's not easy to do. And then on the personal side, you know, with them, where are they now? Where what is their vision? Maybe they co-own the business with a spouse, and they want to think about 
that together? You know, when are they together to be ready? Or any of those other dynamics I mentioned earlier, if there's other business partners or if it's family, family business, or if they are the sole owner and they want to go do another company, it still fits. So it's not about retirement necessarily and putting your feet on the, up on the beach. Or it may be. And so for me, I just want them to be happy in whatever their next is. I want them to feel and be rewarded for all of the hard work that they've done over the years. And that's why building the value of your business is so important to do all that work before you go to market, right? If you're going to have a house or you're going to sell your house, you're going to get it ready. You're going to stage it. <laughs> you're not going to just have the realtors show up and say, here's my messy kitchen. What do you think I can get for my house? <laughs> so oh, they don't, they don't clean it for you. No. <laughs> That's a prerequisite to getting my listing. You have to come in <laughs> they and gotta clean give it? it a deep clean. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's one way to think about it. That's really cool. So so you must see, and we're not going to have time to certainly die. You could write a book, I'm sure, about all the things you've seen. But you you must see a ton of a ton of places that entrepreneurs and and owners of businesses struggle um, across the board as it relates to getting getting their value increase and and planning for the aforementioned next phase of their of their life whatever it may be do you have have you like mentally summarized some of the the common challenges through your through your work over the years absolutely there are eight core drivers to business value and these are things that folks like warren buffett and other acquirers of businesses look for so this is this isn't necessarily me saying hey here's what i think this is uh, validated information from the platform that I mentioned, the Value Builder System, which has over 55,000 companies that have used their platform. And what we see is that on average, companies that have higher scores on the eight dimensions I'm going to talk about are about 70 to almost double 100% of what the average business is. And so the scoring is zero to 100. So of course, 100 being the best. And a company that has a score of around 50 is considered average in this, in the, across these eight drivers. And if we can literally move that needle to 80 or higher, that's real dollars. I just talked to a woman yesterday. She has a small business. She's not even a million dollars in revenue. She's under a million dollars. And she took the questionnaire that, that I have called the Value Builder, Value Builder Questionnaire. It takes 13 minutes to answer these questions about their company and it's assessing them across eight drivers. And for her, it was extremely eye-opening because she said, over the last 10 years, I thought I was the difference. You know, I thought I was really the one making the value here. And what she saw from the data that came back is that it opened her eyes to a completely different way to look at it. And one of the main things is, is called hub and spoke. And so across the eight drivers, this is one where many business owners, small business owners feel like they're in an owner's trap. And, and what, that, what does that mean? Well, if you're building the business, and I can certainly relate to this, right? Because I'm, I'm in a similar mode right now where it's me and I have some help on the side, virtual assistants and some really smart people that are helping me. But it's essentially me and I'm figuring out my marketing process, my sales process. So look, I get it. I empathize. But in a situation where you're trying to establish your business, 
you're getting it off the ground, you're very close to your customers. You're trying to really understand what the wins are, what they need, and you're tailoring what you do. Perhaps you're customizing your product or service so that you win the next deal. Well, what can happen over time is that becomes a trap because the, the more people you talk to, the more you want to satisfy them, the more you're customizing, you're offering too many things, and then you, the owner, <laughs> are the only one that can deliver, and you're the one interfacing with the client, and you're the one doing the selling, and da-da-da, it goes on. Well, what happens? Well, when you are away from your business, if you're fortunate enough to even step away, many people can't, they can't take vacation, right? But if you do leave for a period of time, maybe you're sick, uh, business slows down or it suffers. And when something's going wrong in the, in, in the delivery of the product or service, who is the customer calling? They're calling you, right? So you're on their speed dial, which can in the short term be good, but long term, it's a challenge. And maybe your revenue is starting to plateau. So that's called the owner's trap. And so one of the things that the value builder assessment is looking for is, you know, we're assessing, could you not be in your business for three months? What would happen? You know, could you step away for three months and would the business be okay, not so good, or, you know, thrive? And of the things to work on, this is one of them. Because uh, another dimension is customer satisfaction. And typically what we see is if we're measuring customer satisfaction in companies where they have a hub and spoke challenge is we see very high customer satisfaction. And it makes sense, right? If your mm-hmm. owner is paying attention to you and they are a big reason. And it becomes kind of, again, this self-fulfilling uh, challenge where the owner is involved in everything. They're involved in the selling process. And so they are reticent to bring in other people into the sales process. And I can certainly empathize with that. I understand it. But what I can do is help them see the data, which shows them, well, here's the potential increase in enterprise value. If we can help move the needle for you across these eight dimensions. And by the way, one of them for you is this hub and spoke, you know, and here's where you are. Here's where your industry peers are. And how can, you know, what are the obstacles to getting there? So I think the hub and spoke and the owner's trap is really a key, a key point today to share, Dan, with your audience that that might give them some things to think about. Yeah, I want to explore, I want to explore this a lot more. I have a bunch of questions, but prior, prior to that, I want to validate something I'm thinking. So I, I started Engaged Prospect for two reasons primarily, one of them being something that I saw in corporate America. And I think, although it's not necessarily always the owner, I think I've seen this in practice, what you're saying, in practice a ton. And uh, you want to tell me if I'm wrong. I certainly won't be, won't be ashamed if you tell me I'm dead wrong. So in sales, whether it's an owner as salesperson or a sales leader as the only person in the organization that starts and closes deals and manages customers, or even just a salesperson in general, oftentimes what happens with their workload is they, they work, work, work to build up a, a book of business, right? So it starts with building a pipeline. It then those, those people in the pipeline turn into customers. And now you have all of these customers, your book of business. And what happens oftentimes is those, those people 
focus significantly less, if, if not completely stop focusing on prospecting. Once you've built an, a, a book of accounts, a book of business, you then tend to focus some of your energy on those organizations and less of your time cold calling and networking and going to events and shows, those kinds of activities that helped you get there in the first place. I saw that a lot in my corporate days, um, leading to starting Engaged Prospect to make sure whether it's through technology and processes or strategy or just people, you're always focusing on, on top of the funnel activities. Though that's not always a, an owner, is that a similar example to what you're, what you're seeing with your owners? I think so. I think so. I think it also leads to what we'll see in the numbers on the assessment on another dimension, which is called the Switzerland structure, which is about neutrality and risk. So if you have client concentration, and let's define it as a single client represents more than 15% of your revenue. Okay. Or if you have supplier concentration, and let's use the same metric. Or if you are very reliant on one or two employees, if those employees leave or, you know, for some reason can't work, your business will suffer. And that might be you, by the way, (laughs) you know, that that the owner can be defined in that way. That's the Switzerland structure. We measure that also. We can come up with a numerical score for that. And I think it relates to what you're saying, which is, hmm, we've worked really hard to build these wonderful client relationships. There's a lot of trust built up over the years. And what can happen is, well, they grow, right? And which is an amazing thing. And, you know, you grow with that client and revenue grows, but then what happens and what happens when they leave you? I saw this in, in my experience when I was with this privately held company and we had amazing contracts with, and, and not just my business unit, but the whole, you know, some other business units too, had relationships with some of the largest retailers in North America. And, and, and 20 years ago, it was a handshake deal. Well, what happens when that person retires on the other side of the table? And that's right. what we faced. We had, a, we had a leadership transition. We had to fly up. We flew up about, went up to Canada. We flew up about 10 executives and meeting and, and introductions and almost felt like we were starting from scratch. And that was a very tough place to, to be. Um, and so I think we don't want to find ourselves in that position where, you know, we're so we're, we're over reliant on one particular client or over reliant on one particular employee or one particular supplier. There's an excellent, I believe it was written to be a business documentary. I could be wrong, but it's a, it's a film called Tommy Boy. And I'm pretty <laughs> sure it has the same, the same premise. I learned Oscar, that it's an Oscar story. winner, I think. Oh, Tommy Boy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it true. follows the same idea. <laughs> that that is absolutely right. The insurance. I think it was underwritten by an insurance company. <laughs> That's for sure, definitely. <laughs> uh, or yeah, a car insurance company for sure. Faulty brake pads lead to this. <laughs> That's right. So so, boy, this is this is really exciting. So the owner, the owner's trap. You you see this. What percent of the time do you think when you're going through these eight, through the assessment? Oh, gosh. How often do you It's probably the most common. I would really? say out of the most recent batch 
of assessments. And I'll say that number is probably 40 <clears throat> at this point where I've reviewed about 40 assessments. Excuse me one second, I have to get a sip of water. Out of those 40, <laughs> probably 35 had a hub and spoke problem. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Real quick hard. for for definition purposes, can you can you do? I I feel like the the concept the owner's trap makes sense, um, and we're going to talk about it. But the hub and spoke. Talk, can you talk about that? Just yes, and they're related. They're they're, they're related to each other. Sorry if I'm using different terms, but they're the same. No, that's okay. They're the same idea. the The actual measure in our database is called hub and spoke. Which graphically, if you put yourself as the owner in the middle of a concentric circle, and then you've got the spokes to a wheel going mm -hmm. out, all roads lead to the owner, right? What's product development? What's the what's our pipeline? What's servicing the client? Customer service issues you know, marketing, HR, the, the CEO or the owner is in the middle of everything. They got their fingers on the pulse of everything, which is great because they feel like they're really tied into the business. But then again, long-term, if an outside acquirer is going to buy your company and you are so tied in, well, you're not probably going to be part of that new entity. That lot, therein lies the risk. And therein comes this, you know, kind of concept of an owner's trap. But the, the hub and spoke visual is, is probably something to, to kind of ask and ask yourself, okay, how am I, am I in the break fix business? You know, if something's going wrong, is everybody calling me to fix it? Um, if I go on vacation, what, what's happening? You know, is everything stopping? Can I even go on vacation? When's the last time I'm going on vacation? Sure. And, you know, one way around this is to survey your employees. Let's say you have a number of employees on your team. And you want to get just a handle on how, um, you know, how you can encourage people to solve their own problems. So if someone's coming to you and saying, oh, hey, you know, Lori, how can I solve this problem? If you turn it around and ask, well, what would you do if you're if it was your business? What would you do? And just asking that simple question forces people to think differently about the good of the business. And it kind of triggers different kind of decision making habits. So that when you're cultivating that habit, it's getting them to think like an owner. And then over time, also literally thinking about the roles and responsibilities. And what's the swim lane that you want to be in? Do you want to, do you want to have a little more time in your day? <laughs> do you want to spend more time working on your business and not necessarily in your business? So those are some of the, those are some of the things that I look to work with clients on is helping them reach that point where they're not so needed day to day, you know, they can start to take steps back. And that's about having a, a good management team, you know, right people in the right place at the right time, obviously is important. I think it starts with understanding how you're spending your time. And I like to I like to do what I've always done through my career is I call it a start stop continue exercise. So what do you want to start doing that you're not doing today? What do you want to stop doing? Which means literally stop. No one should do it. It's very inefficient. It's, you know, it's not working. Or it means you personally are going to stop and it's going to be delegated to someone else. And then the continue means I want to double down on these things. This is my highest and best strength. And which leads to kind of this other concept of, well, what are you good at? And what do you enjoy? If you're good at it, but you don't enjoy it, then why are you doing it? So all of those things can kind of play into a start, stop, continue exercise. But I think a lot of executives, it's just worth um, 
stepping off the treadmill for a second. <laughs> we're all so busy. We're running really fast and hard. Um, can feel like we're on this treadmill. And if you're looking for more time in your day and better ways to spend your time that's going to grow your enterprise value, I think it starts with you. And then it can, you know, kind of cascade from there. So I, I'm hearing you and just thinking about our business and validating or <laughs> or raising red flags over what what I'm doing personally and what it what an awesome framework to be able to go through this with your clients to help them understand it. Um, I remember the first time I didn't have email access or phone access in probably a decade, truthfully, but the first time certainly while while leading engaged prospect, my wife and I and a friend went to Haiti to do some some work with with a, a town in in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And so no no internet access or phone access for the entire week we were there. And I remember getting back to Miami, turning my phone on thinking, okay, so I'm going to find out that my team is all, I don't know, I don't mean this <laughs> as, I mean it as a joke, but my team's all going to be in jail. All of our clients left us. The, <laughs> the internet's down. The office kicked us, you know, kicked us out of our lease and just everything has gone to pot. And guess what? None of it happened. And it was like the best feeling I think I could possibly have was like, wow, it worked without me. And we're not entirely set up like that. It's not as sustainable for everything. But just that one week of experience was a really good feeling for how we're set up in our business. And I'm sure you working with your, your clients, and I know they have much loftier goals than just a one week vacation, but um, what a, what a great what a great service you're providing them, even just with this one thing. Awesome. <laughs> well, awesome thank you. And, but I also think it points to the value of your company because you aim to work with business owners, small companies, medium-sized companies to, you know, to augment their sales process or create a sales process. And that frees up the owner and CEO to do other things. And so I think our interests are very much aligned in that sense. And, you know, I'm glad we got connected, I think, because of that reason. And um, yeah, I think it, it could be sales. It could be other it could be other things. I think sales is a common, probably the most common uh, area to potentially transition away from the founder. Yeah, certainly. We, we talk with a lot of folks who think, you know, I'm the only one who can sell this. And in many cases, you know, technical expertise and, and understanding of the market, they certainly have have that expertise for sure. But there are there are hundreds of activities that go into selling and not all of those need to be done by a founder, even if the founder maintains ownership over sales. You probably see it in other other areas with with accounting. You you as an owner may not be a CPA, but you certainly want to manage and monitor trends and you know i'm making this up but you have a great gut feel when looking at data for what that means for your business where you know maybe your accountant doesn't but do you have to enter in all of your all of your invoices and accounts right. receivable probably that's not right. that's right. right that was actually the first thing i the first thing i outsourced so to speak was <laughs> bookkeeping because because yeah. i'm bad at it attention 
not attention to detail necessarily, but just monitoring it all the time when you get, you know, this one check for $300 uh, or this other check for 10 grand, I'm rushing in for the 10 grand, like a server almost, right? You get a big tip, you run right. that system to put it in. Um, and then things might get lost. And I was just, I was up at night thinking, oh my gosh, did I close out all the, the receipts? Um, you probably see this all the time, but I, I love how, you know, I'm, I'm in my business, as, as you said earlier, working on your business or in your business. Um, I'm in it and oftentimes, not always, but when I'm in it, it's, you have this tunnel vision, right? And I'm sure your clients all have tunnel vision to some extent or another. And what you do is you come in and help them break that apart and look at it from, I love how you, how you started explaining your approach, which is I ask really good questions. I know I don't know everything, but you've demonstrated just in a few minutes with us, th this framework is your expertise, right? And the experience you have of large and small companies, all of these things that you bring to the table, I assume help organizations get and, and owners I don't mean this negatively, but get out of their own way to see something maybe a little differently that could yield even better results for them in the future. Absolutely. And it's, it's a roadmap, it's a framework, but then there's also the, my, let's say my client, right? The business owner, they are committed to, to this process. They have to commit upfront to the process to want to be in the process, because guess what? I'm not doing the work. They are. <laughs> I'm just helping them understand what the roadmap is, but I'm not literally doing the heavy lifting. They are. And so what that means is meeting with me in executive coaching sessions on a monthly basis. And in between those sessions, they've got some things to do, some things to work on, some things to think about. And then the next time we meet, you know, we, we talk about it and what challenges they might be facing and then move it forward. And so what I do is I combine, I start with this assessment to get a baseline of where are they now on these eight dimensions and scoring them literally and providing an estimate of value for their company. A lot of business owners have no idea what their company is worth today. And so my process gives them an initial estimate of value, which is also really eye-opening. And it shows them, hey, if this is your current score, your baseline score, here are your industry peers and you might be at, below, above which is also good to know. And here is your potential. If we can improve your score by, let's say, 30 points, what impact is that? What might that have? And I was, I was starting to share an example earlier where I showed uh, a prospective client that data, and it was significant. It was like 140% gain in the potential. And are we going to get that gain in wow. a week? No, we're not going to get that gain in a week. But it was a big enough number that certainly justifies working with an outside advisor like myself. But it's also a big enough number to justify for them, hey, the juice is worth the squeeze here. If you're going to put in the time, she and she is a business partner. So she, you know, is the next step we're going to meet and talk again. And that's and that's OK. It's not a one call close, you know, type of approach. But the assessment is a tool not only in the selling process. And so I know this is a sales you know, show. And so I'm throwing that in there from a, you know, kind of a process standpoint to explain it, but it's part of my sales process for sure, but it's also super powerful. And guess what? It's really valuable. So if someone who goes through and answers the questionnaire gets a heck of a lot of value on the other side um, from meeting with me, they literally get a 30 page custom report 
which gives them, you know, a lot of the information that I'm sharing today at a high level gets a little deeper and gives them thought provoking questions and possible next steps. And from there, what I look to do is engage with people who want to do the hard work. They know this is a, a, a marathon. It's not a sprint. And they're willing to roll up their sleeves and get, and get to it. And so executive coaching on a monthly basis, and that's a one-on-one. And that's, and that's important because it's the personal readiness as well as the business readiness. And we have a confidential one-on-one forum to do that. But we have to also consider that they are not the only ones that are going to help make this happen. So involving their team is super important. And that's where I integrate also strategic planning. So we take what we've learned from the assessment and we've got to make sure that these big, big rocks are showing up in the strategy plan. And a strategy plan is, you know, probably a three-year plan. It can be shorter, longer, doesn't matter. But it's the process of getting everybody together together and galvanizing, getting a, getting a shared understanding of what's important and why and where we go from here. That's, a, that's amazing. And it's so eye-opening. It's, it's really, I'm really, that's one of my favorite things is doing strat planning with clients involving their teams, because a lot of times these teams have never gone through a process like this. They're mm-hmm. so appreciative of being included <laughs> and there's so much more tied in and, and kind of back to what I said earlier about getting people to feel like an owner. What a great way to get your management team or your, you know, your team, even if they're a little uh, less seasoned, let's say experience wise to, to get them to understand the bigger picture of your business. Wow. It's so powerful. And so I take this combination of the, the, uh, the quantitative and we pull it together with what they know about their business. We try to come up with a, you know, a roadmap that they can then execute on. And what happens is you put together this document and everyone's like, oh, that's, that's great. Like we have this wonderful document. Okay. But that's where it, it's, it starts. And a lot of times people think, oh, we're never going to get all this done. This is, this is an incredible amount of stuff. And then we end up getting so much done. We meet quarterly and we're checking in, you know, from an accountability standpoint, but we're checking in and they're, they're completing and we're checking things off the list. And then we got to move some new things on because it's a way to keep it updated and and alive as opposed to a static thing. That's going to, you know, collect dust on the proverbial digital shelf. And it's really an amazing process. So this combination of the owner steering the ship, having a sense of what their, you know, their goals are and their vision is in the bigger sense of, Hey, I want to sell my company in five to seven years. Well, how are we going to do that? And then with their team, making sure that they're activating on the core drivers that they really need to be pushing on. What do you think about volunteering for three minutes of super uncomfortable, rapid fire, not discussed previously questions? Go for it. Put you on the spot and get you you out of here with a bang. Great. Let's do it. What is your favorite thing about working with business owners? I love aha moments. I love it when people are like, oh, I didn't see it that way before. Thank you. I love that. I absolutely love that. Tell us something. By the way, I'm making this up on the spot. So if uh, I, (laughs) who knows where we're going? Uh, Give me something you're most proud of in the last, not one year because of, the pandemic, the last two years, the thing you're most proud of? My daughter going to college and really maturing through the process. It was so wonderful as a mom to see her grow 
and make a wonderful decision uh, that she ended up making for which college she wanted to go to. And that whole process can be very, very stressful. But as a mom, I really enjoyed being alongside her through that. Really proud of her. I want to just point out, I love the fact that you chose the personal route versus business. We've spent 45 minutes talking about work and you immediately were talking about your daughter. That's awesome. And congrats to her. And what a bizarre time of the history of the world to start college. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. she's, she's learning a lot of life experience while doing this. Mm -hmm. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so speaking of the last year being kind of wonky, uh, COVID-19, of course, we are at the beginning of 2021 for those um, that listen to this down the road. What was your pandemic guilty pleasure? <laughs> I had a couple of things. I have three. Can I say all three? <laughs> you, you may, yes. I started making pickles. So <laughs> when I was a kid, we used to go to, to visit my grandparents in Brooklyn, New York. And when you go to a diner, if anyone's ever been to a Brooklyn diner, you know what I'm talking about. They, you know, mm -hmm. how here you go to a restaurant, they give you bread. Well, when you go to a Brooklyn diner, most often they're going to give you pickles and they're awesome. And they're, they're salt pickles, not vinegar. And I couldn't find ones I like. So I'm like, well, I'm going to make my own. So I started making pickles. So that's one. Two is I started playing Guitar Hero with my son, who's 16. And it's like from the archives, right? Guitar Hero, you know, everybody had it like 10 years ago. Well, we still have it. And I love, <laughs> I love it. He's really good on guitar and I'm the bassist. So I jam out, I jam out on, uh, on bass. And then the third thing was launching the podcast. And I didn't know I was going to be launching a podcast right before a pandemic. Uh, but that is what happened. And it was funny now that I look back at it, I didn't know what to do with the pandemic in my recordings because I want, I don't do a show where it's released in the same week. It's, there's a bit of a delay and my show is intended. Well, if you pick it up a year from now, you're still going to get value. So I didn't want to make it all about what's happening at the moment because it to me would make it out of date, you know? But sure. then interviews go by and I'm thinking to myself, I can't, <laughs> I can't ignore this any longer. You know, I started recording in, in March, right? And my first release was in April. And then here I am, I'm still recording, still recording. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I got to ask people about what's happening here. And like, we got to at least acknowledge it. And at the end of, so the body of work now that I, if I look back on it at this point, I've recorded, I'm still new at this, right? So I recorded about, I don't know, let's say 45 episodes. And I think what's interesting about it is it's a point in time. It's not the story core, you know, where it's all about one story and let's capture this moment in time. But it's, it is, it in essence, curating a bit of history as we look back on it eventually. And I can, maybe I can stitch together and maybe this will be part of a book or something. But I think that that's really interesting is, you know, a way to capture people's past. You know, we talk about the background. Where have you been? Where are you now? And let's face it, the where are you now part is we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the pandemic and other things. And then where are you going? And so that's how I've, I've really enjoyed curating these conversations and being a podcaster. I'd call that a hobby, but it's, it's also related to my business. And I, I've really, really enjoyed the medium. That's fantastic. I absolutely love that. And I was thinking of 
of my experience starting this podcast um, in a similar time frame, it it was at least comforting, and this is the exact opposite of of every other facet of life. But it was comforting knowing, like, okay, this isn't a one week thing. So if we talk about COVID and how it relates to selling a business or growing a business or moving out of the the owner's trap, this is going to be relevant long into the future too. So I, I love the fact that you didn't hesitate to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And obviously we're, we're a year later, it's still, it's still changing life every day. So I think, I think your episodes are, are going to be relevant for years into the future. Um, and it's a great show. We're going to ask you shortly how to, how to direct folks to it. Um, but one more, one more quick question. And I don't know what I want to ask, but it's something about your relocation to Pittsburgh. For, first of all, real quick, where did you come from? I grew up in a suburb of Albany, New York. Okay. And after college, I, I went to college in, in upstate New York in, at, at Cornell, which is in Ithaca. We get a lot of snow up there. Oh, yeah. And after that, uh, me and my college sweetheart moved to Pennsylvania. The very first town we lived in was Hanover, PA, which is oh, yeah. uh, south central, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I would drive an hour west and my now husband, but back then he would drive, um, he would drive about 45 minutes south into Maryland near Baltimore. And that was literally on the map that was kind of in the middle. And that's why we picked Hanover. <laughs> and then that's eventually fantastic. that was where we were, you know, kind of Carlisle, Harrisburg area. I was working in Shippensburg, which is South Central PA, really small, adorable town yeah. where literally you have Amish buggies going down the road, you know, horse poop, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, super cool. Yep. So, so you get to Pittsburgh. Here's, here's how I want to ask the question. Uh, I'll keep it broad. What, what was your favorite thing about the city of Pittsburgh? So welcoming. We got super lucky in meeting some wonderful, amazing people that we're still friends with. They, our neighbors across the, you know, just next door brought us a, for anybody listening and knows Prantles Bakery, they brought us a Prantles Burn Almond Tort and said, welcome. And that was, I it just kicked it off for me. Like, wow, what a welcoming city you know what a nice place how cool Lori. it has been an absolute pleasure to get to know you personally a little bit more and also certainly talk shop with you um quite a bit i i love what you're doing i love how you how you bring the personal flavor to it that that speaks volumes for how you approach your work and what you're doing is is really exciting i know you're helping a lot of companies um, with that in mind, who, who are the right types of folks that might be listening or that we all might be speaking with at some point that would make sense to, to connect with you? What's a one or two sentence kind of thing of who, who you, who you want to talk to? Yeah, I'd love to speak with business owners, founders of small to medium sized companies that are thinking about the best way to eventually transition their company, whether it's transition to a third party, next generation family, or next generation management. And they're interested in understanding what their business is worth today and what that hard, all the hard work that they have 
how they might benefit in growing the, this incredible asset, how we might maximize the value of their enterprise over time. And that really appreciate the value of coaching, you know, that they're open to coaching. That's really key. Uh, if someone knows all the answers already, I'm not going to be able to help them. But if they're really open-minded and interested in talking about their next and they realize their next is not, you know, still a ways away, we have some time, then let's talk. I love it. There's a lot of those folks out there. So how how do we find you? I want to know LinkedIn. I want to know websites. And I certainly want to know the ways that we can find your podcast. Yeah, I have a, a big fan LinkedIn. I love the community on LinkedIn. My spelling of my name is L-A-U-R-I-E. And you can find me, Lori Barkman, on LinkedIn. Happy to connect there. My website, I'll also spell it out, is smalldotbig.com. And you can connect with me there and, and schedule uh, a 20-minute you know, short call just so we can get to know each other. And if you're interested in taking the value builder questionnaire, would love to talk to you about that. It's certainly an amazing tool. And, you know, we spent a good amount of time today talking about the benefits of that process for business owners. And so I invite them to that. And also on my site, you know, you can sign up for my newsletter. I have an insights newsletter and we do events. So I have an event coming up. We're doing an insights webinar that I have a panel of speakers and we're talking it, it's meant for business owners to attend. So I'll have that on my website if they wanna check out an up, upcoming events. And for those uh, who are not able to attend or it's you know in the future, we'll, we'll have the recording on my site as well. There's a lot of resources on my, on my site, podcasts, my Succession Stories podcast is available wherever you listen. But if you go to successionstories.com, It'll take you right to my uh, my host page for the for the show, and you can see all the episodes. And you can stream and again and stream in any of the platforms. Uh, and I have deep content, all the transcripts uh, from each episode. If you just want to skim, and you say I just want want the highlights, well, I have all that content too, and and lots of articles on my site. So if you check out smalldotbig.com, I think there'll be a lot of information for you to enjoy ebooks to download, all kinds of goodies. That is fantastic. And um, if you go to amazon.com, you can probably purchase an upcoming jar of pickles from Lori Barkman as well. <laughs> and that is amazon.com. <laughs> They've never heard of Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, it, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you today. You, you bring so much knowledge and, and passion to your work. It, it shows. And I love I love having you, love talking to you, and I look forward to hearing some, some great things um, in the future of your work and, and also getting a chance to, to get to know you even more. I, I really do appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much, Dan. It was really great to be here. All right. Well, that, that was the episode, ladies and gentlemen, Lori Barkman, small dot big. Um, please please reach out if you have some questions for her. She can help a variety of people. It was great having you. I look forward to, to more, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks, Lori. Have a great day. All right, thanks, Dan. Bye-bye.